Somehow, the primary focus of the media's attention over the last four days or so has been a comparatively tiny grant request by an arts body. So the Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand had requested $110,000 in funding over three years from Creative New Zealand's Kahikatea Fund, and it declined that application despite having given the centre $31,000 annually in the past. Okay, so it was really a bigger funding, 110000 in funding, despite having given... They've been getting 31000 Yes. They applied for 110000 more over three years. They didn't get it. That's okay. the story. Righto. Um, but we had this impression that Creative New Zealand was cancelling Shakespeare. Can you tell us more? Cancelling Shakespeare? You might have got that impression from reading the news, which I think might have been a little bit overblown. So... The Shakespeare Globe Centre puts on the Sheila Wynne Shakespeare Festival. Just to give you the rundown, that, that, that festival invites groups of secondary school students to perform snippets of Shakespeare on stage. And so the decision to not renew the Globe Centre's funding has been repeatedly interpreted in the media as a cut to that festival. So Stuff, One News, RNZ, The Herald News, Talks, ZB, all these other outlet, outlets have been replete with these headlines about Creative New Zealand, as you say, cancelling Shakespeare or defunding the Sheila Wynne Festival. But those headlines have always been just at best a little bit questionable. For, for one thing, just to be a stickler here over terminology, Creative New Zealand hasn't actually defunded anything. The Globe Centre, its funding just didn't get renewed after it applied again in a contestable round. It wasn't yanked away from them or anything like that. They didn't get they didn't get it all taken away. So the, even the idea, though, that this means cuts to Sheila Wynne is debatable. So here's Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand's Chief Executive Dawn Sanders talking to Tova O'Brien on Today FM about what the money from Creative NZ was actually earmarked for. I asked for 110000 because... I wanted succession planning. I want proper EA so I don't have to work the insane number of 65 hours a week that I do at the moment or more. And so to share that workload with part of the whole application as well. So we've had all these headlines, cancelling Shakespeare, taking opportunities away from teenagers. Why are you doing this sort of school Shakespeare festival? That's the actual chief executive of the Globe Centre saying, actually, this was for an executive assistant and succession planning. So those things are important. Don't get me wrong here. By all accounts, Dawn Sanders is absolutely central to the Sheila Wynne Festival, as is admin. Admin's important. But this is far from a decisive act when it comes to the survival of the festival because actually, and people might not know this, but the festival festival was always going to go ahead. So what you're saying is that the festival has other funding sources apart from Creative New Zealand. That's right. So Creative New Zealand is not even really the main player here. So the application for $30,000, that's probably about 10% of what the Sheila Wynne Festival costs to put on every year. But if you look at the Globe Centre's website, it says that it needs to raise roughly $750,000 a year to put on its events. And it lists a large number of existing sponsors of which Creative NZ is just one of Many, a huge list of them. So a missing $30,000 grant looks even less impactful in that context. The bottom line really is that this was a festival that wasn't really under threat with or without Creative NZ's help. And that might not have been the impression that you got when you see a headline about cancelling Shakespeare. But this was all easily accessible information for any reporter. So it's really hard to say 
why so much of the reporting has been so confused or confusing, and it's just been repeatedly reported that this funding is taking opportunities away from teenagers. As the spin-off Sam Brooks has quite eloquently put it, unless the opportunity facing those teenagers was becoming an executive assistant, then that's just not the case. I'm still a little bit confused, Hayden, I, I have to say, because I've read it all, listened to it all, and even though you've given me those numbers, tell me again about the $31,000. They were going to get it anyway from Creative New Zealand. No, they've been getting $31,000 a year to support them in the past. That's just not been renewed, basically. Yeah. Right, so they're not getting it from Creative New Zealand. The, so they, the funding has a, been it, denied. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a contestable round and it comes up every three years and they got, they applied for the next three years. They didn't get it. Right, okay. So yeah. what happened then was that uh, there's been an accusation that the or accusation and approbation that the government have stepped in, saved the day, and uh, the Globe Centre is going to get its $31,000 from the Ministry of Education instead? Yeah, I'm guessing Jacinda Ardern probably smiling at some of those headlines, you know, after she stepped in to ensure that the Globe Centre would get, you know, it's $31,000 or so a year from the Ministry of Education instead yesterday. Stuff actually wrote a tweet saying she had moved to save the Sheila Wynne Festival after Creative New Zealand, quote, decided to can it. And that just bears absolutely no relationship to reality. It's quite an incredible tweet from a major news organisation. In reality, the PM has stepped in to, and Dawn Sanders' words, fund an executive assistant and succession planning after Creative NZ decided against providing what amounts to at best 10% of Sheila Wynne's annual budget. So not quite as impressive when you put it that way. That that Stuff Stories headline wasn't much better. It repeated the claim that Ardern had saved the festival, which again was always going ahead and didn't need saving. And RNZ was the same. It wrote that the PM's decision was a reprieve for the festival. Now, I, I might be being a stickler over terminology again, but I don't think that things need a reprieve if they're already going ahead and they don't need to, they're not actually at risk. All right. I am completely confused now because didn't you just tell me that they didn't get their funding, uh, their $31,000 that they needed? So yeah. wasn't it at risk? It, that funding was at risk. The festival itself wasn't. That's 10% of its budget. And the th- and the, that money was going to go towards an executive assistant and succession planning for the chief executive. So it was, I guess in some people's mind, more of a nice-to-have than absolutely vital to the festival. That's not the impression you would have got from the media, though. You might have got the impression that it was absolutely central and that... Creative New Zealand had cancelled Shakespeare. And it isn't, this controversy isn't just about the money. It's this idea that Creative New Zealand ruled that Shakespeare is not relevant to this country, to New Zealand, and located in a, quote, canon of imperialism. Yes, and this is really what's behind the kerfuffle, I think. Without getting too much into the weeds, that canon of imperialism quote was dug up in an open letter by a guy called Terry Sheet, and he's a retired lawyer who in the same document calls Creative NZ an artistic Taliban. So it's out of context. It comes from a panellist that Creative New Zealand employed to advise on its funding decisions before it made the final call. It's got quite a convoluted process. It has an advisory panel. That advisory panel submits its advice, and then the Creative New Zealand itself makes the final call. So, I mean, a lot of the reporting has honed in on that quote, including some international publications like the AP, which goes everywhere, or The Guardian, 
And the quote itself has been the subject of criticism. So Shakespeare scholar, for instance, Michael Neal, pointed to a history of Māori artists like uh, Peter Hudanui uh, reinterpreting the Bard's work. You've also had quotes like this one I'm about to play on News Hub at, at, News Hub at Six from the actor and Sheila Wynn participant Mahanga Mitchell. Shakespeare, the text isn't colonising us. You know, we're decolonising Shakespeare. That's what we're doing. Yeah, so that's a really great quote from Mahanga Mitchell, and fair enough. And he went on on News Hub's AM, uh, he went on to talk about how he incorporated Kapahaka and Te Reo Māori into his performance at the Globe, which he earned by excelling at Sheila Wynn. And he was backed up by other Māori creators, so the actor to Waihiroi Shortland, he backed those points on Radio Wātia. The eloquence of the language that Peter Hurinui appreciates Peter Awatere, in preparation of his time at war and his reflections on life, was a Shakespearean uh, enthusiast. And not because these people's minds were suddenly were colonized, but because they appreciated the language, oratorical Māori and Shakespeare aligned so well. Yeah, that's that, that's a great quote as well. Uh, that the intro to that interview was uh, the interview was with Dale Husband, and it just was a really great intro. And I, it's not really relevant to what I want to talk about, but can I just play it for you now because it's kind of funny? Yeah, go for it. Hark! Who goes there? Who doth be it? Is that you, Waiheroi Shortland? Tenakwe. It is I, good sir. <laughs> that's brilliant. I really like that. That's great, Dale Husband. <laughs> Where was that? Uh, that's on Radio Watia. Oh, brilliant. So, isn't it fair enough, though? The the question is how much that quote about a canon of imperialism actually impacted Creative New Zealand's decision making. Yeah, and this is where I think the reporting really falls down or blurs things a little bit. The issue isn't really people like uh, Te Waihiroi Shortland disputing that assessment. It's rather everyone taking it, that quote, as Creative New Zealand's definitive position, the organisational position. And that's not necessarily the case. It's from a panellist. So here's RNZ just yesterday morning. Creative New Zealand ruled the bar is, quote, located within a canon of imperialism and simply isn't relevant for decolonising Aotearoa. Now, the problem is that Creative New Zealand hasn't actually ruled anything of the sort. That's a comment from one of its advisors. It's apparently one comment in an 11-page document. And from what I understand of that document, actually a lot of it just goes into the nuts and bolts of the Globe Centre's application and isn't about that kind of thing at all. So it's unclear, I think, to what extent the comment reflects Creative NZ's own thinking. But it is worth noting that in an interview on the platform of all places, the agency's chief executive, Stephen Wainwright, said he personally didn't agree with how that advisor had phrased things. Do you agree? Do you agree? Or disagree with the idea that Shakespeare is somehow an imperialist, a colonialist, and his work is a canon of imperialism? Personally. <laughs> um, personally, um, a canon of imperialism. N- not, not in those terms. 
Now, he went on to say a few different things. He said Shakespeare is something he grew up with that doesn't necessarily feel unique to New Zealand. He said there's an argument that creative New Zealand should be funding artists to tell more of our own stories. And if there is an ideology behind all this, I think that's closer to what it is. As an example of a successful application, for instance, Wainwright pointed to the Tairawhiti Arts Festival, which showcases a lot of local creativity. But uh, there's another factor at play, which he mentions, and he said that the funding went to organisations that might not have survived without it. And as I just explained, that doesn't apply to the Globe Centre. It was going to survive without it. And it has a long list of benefactors. And maybe some of these other recipients that have benefited from this funding round, they weren't going to go on if they didn't get this money. So that's a factor as well that hasn't really been considered. Okay, so just clarify for me. The canon of imperialism was a quote that came from Terry Sheet. He was... No, no, he dug it up. It's from an advisor to Creative New Zealand. I see. And it's Kahikatea funding round. Yeah, so right, the, so yeah. it did come in their... In their... It, was, it was by someone they employed yes. to advise them. Right, okay. But they weren't making the final decision. They're not even part of Creative New Zealand, from what I understand, and they're not necessarily reflective of the organisation itself. I see. So where did they find that um, advice? I'm not sure how Terry Sheet actually got this document, uh, but he obviously has the document. And it was just something that um, was between Creative New Zealand and one of their advisors when asked about this particular funding, perhaps. Yeah, was... to assess. These advisors assess all of the yes. funding applications. They provide feedback on right. them. That was one of the quotes that was provided as part of that feedback. Right, and that must have gone some way towards turning it down. Potentially, but <laughs> yes. we don't know. That's what I'm saying. Right, we don't know. Okay. It, it's been interpreted as Creative NZ's definitive right. thinking and that this was a ruling that Creative NZ had made. I'm not sure that's actually an accurate retelling of it. It's part of an advisor's feedback and it might and it might or it might not have reflected the agency's thinking. Okay, I understand. So so what you're saying here is um, the wider issue is why Creative New Zealand is having to choose between giving funding to the Shakespeare Globe Centre New Zealand and the other worthy, as you put it, bodies. Yeah, exactly. Why are they having to choose between funding School Shakespeare and other arts uh, arts organisations? And on that, Stuff's actually published some pretty good reporting here. I mean, it had Dr James Wenley of Victoria University pointing out that in, in 2006-2007, the Crown gave $15.45 million to Creative New Zealand, and that's the equivalent of you know $21.5 million in today's dollars. But the agency actually only received $16.68 million in baseline funding in the 2022 budget. That's 0.01% of the government's spend. So uh, the Creative New Zealand has repeatedly pointed to tight budgets as, as, as the reason behind these kinds of difficult cho- choices. And perhaps maybe the media focus could be more on whether the arts are actually getting underfunded here rather than this kind of strange quote from one advisor in a 11-page document that some guy dug up. Okay. Understand, and, and and also perhaps the focus less on why they're having to make these difficult choices because they must be quite difficult for them. Yeah, I mean they they funded I think fifty eight out of sixty two applicants, so these this was one of only four to be turned down. To be fair, uh, but yes, they are. It does seem like the budget is tight, and they're having to actually choose. It doesn't seem like there's some sort of vendetta against Shakespeare, let's put it that way, that they didn't want to fund this program, just that there was so many that they needed to fund and they and it was a hard choice between them. Well, you're running against the tide here, Hayden. Yeah, <laughs> so so. Why has it, uh, why has stuff then got so much stuff 
stuff seemingly wrong on the story. Yeah, the theory is, I mean, Sam Brooks, again, of the spin-off, he said that this is what happens when you get Junos who don't understand the arts reporting on it, so lack of dedicated arts reporters. Uh, on that, I'd note RNZ <laughs> is now advertising for an executive lifestyle and entertainment editor, and its job ad calls for someone with a broad knowledge of the music and entertainment industries. So hopefully that person can help shows like Morning Report become a bit more accurate with their introductions in future. <laughs> I saw that ad, actually. Yeah. I wonder who's going to apply for that and what the wages will be. It's they true. Never, they, they never list that, do never they? Never list that, no. Uh, but did you think that a dedicated arts reporter would have made all the difference here? I don't know. I mean, maybe really understanding this really Byzantine, complicated funding mechanism that I had to get my head around would have helped uh, if, if people really understood exactly how they came to this decision. Uh, I think the thing really driving this was almost this irresistible culture war narrative. Here was Shakespeare, of all people, being cancelled for being a coloniser or whatever. And even if very few of the words in that sentence actually proved to be true, I think the story just seemed to push so many buttons for people uh, in the media that they were almost unable to stop the momentum of the narrative even when presented with solid evidence they are misinforming their audiences or at least not giving them a complete picture. And and that's not to say that comment about a canon of imperialism from a single advisor was well considered or accurate or not worthy of criticism. And there are genuine objections to it, including from Māori and Pacific crea- creators. But I just think the ironic thing is that if that advisor there wanted to put the argument that our cultural priorities are disproportionately weighted toward the work of an English writer who worked 500 years ago, they couldn't have <laughs> provided a much better much better evidence than the histrionic overblown reaction to this relatively minor, not all that impactful funding decision. And uh, the end result of it being is that it will go ahead. It will go ahead. And, and, and I mean, where is the... Um, same outrage over Auckland Pride doesn't get didn't get funding from Creative New Zealand. Dunedin Fringe didn't get it. You know, there, there's groups up and down the country that desperately need funding to go ahead. They don't get it. There's not the same outrage, but you you <laughs> you can thirty thousand dollars worth of funding to a festival that's still going to go ahead and has already got a long list of benefactors and it's Shakespeare and people are up in arms. I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? As a politician once said to me, Hayden. It's political. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the reason. And uh, Politicians would say that. <laughs> uh, here's a text for you. Karen, as a teenage boy, I saw a modern reinterpretation of Romeo and Juliet at Downstage Theatre in Wellington. I was in no way arty or interested in theatre at the time. To my surprise, I found the production absolutely riveting and absorbing. Uh, Shakespeare has never lost his relevance. I have to say, Hayden, oh, Hayden, you've added no clarity to the discussion at all. Oh, no. Do you like Shakespeare? Not so much myself. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> all right. But, but I see the value in it. I don't, I, don't want it to, I don't want it to be stopped. I quite like the idea of having the Sheila Wynn Festival continue. And luckily for everyone, it's going to, contrary to the media headlines. Let's move on to Kamal Santa Maria and the saga. Uh, you wanted to note some new developments in this story. Yeah, just to recap, Kamal Santa Maria, if you don't remember, replaced John Campbell at breakfast, and he was just well, he left the organisation after 32 days following complaints about him from TVNZ staff, and now 
The BBC has published a new report on his issues at his old employer before TVNZ, Al Jazeera. So the broadcaster uncovered a list of 22 allegations against the former host from that tenure before TVNZ, including that he gave unwanted hugs and kisses to his fellow staff and used inappropriate and sexually suggestive language in the workplace. These incidents apparently generated multiple complaints. They might have been ignored or brushed under the carpet. Uh, And the BBC uh, says that was kind of the culture at that organisation. Gosh, how does TVNZ look in light of uh, these reports? So in one sense pretty good. It reflects relatively well on the culture at TVNZ that Santa Maria only lasted 32 days there rather than 16 years at Al Jazeera. But that doesn't mean TVNZ doesn't have questions to answer, to use a horrible double negative there. But I mean, for instance, it initially told staff and the media that Santa Maria had been stood down over a family emergency. And it still hasn't provided a satisfactory explanation of what exactly that emergency was. Uh, As Chief Executive Simon Power has apologised to staff for using that description, but the broadcaster hasn't publicly acknowledged that it was wrong or inaccurate to do so, and it's declined to answer questions uh, from staff in particular on why it uh, used that phrase. There's also the question of just how Santa Maria was able to secure a job when his behaviour had obviously distressed multiple colleagues over 16 years. And On that matter, TVNZ has recently announced a new hiring process for its presenters, so they'll get more scrutiny from HR and the company will take on board feedback from potential co-hosts. So it's admitted that it didn't follow a proper process in Santa Maria's case and his hiring, and the news director who actually hired the host, Paul Urisic, has since resigned. And uh, that BBC report out now, is it? Uh, Yeah, it is. It was leading the website for a while, but I'm sure if you just Google... You'll Come find on, Santa Maria. It. Okay. You'll find it. And Hayden, you also wanted to speak about a, a big restructure that's going on at Stuff's regional uh, publications. Yeah, it's been, been described as job cuts at the regional publications. I think Stuff would probably describe it as a restructure or reorganisation. Uh, the details are basically that the Manawatu Standard, the Nelson Mail, the Timaru Herald, they'll all see the newsroom staff numbers cut from seven reporters to three. That's reporter numbers going down. The Taranaki Daily News, the Southland Times, they'll keep four reporters each. But these are basically cuts uh, to the journalist numbers. As well as that, you have all existing news director or what we would call chief reporter roles. They're being cut, and there's one editor remaining at each publication, but the editor will be expected to write as well. And all of these cuts are happening uh, because to counterbalance them, Stuff is setting up a new regional team, and that's headed by a group regional editor. It's got four news directors, I guess, or chief reporter roles, and then it has nine breaking news reporters. So, so does that amount to job cuts or not? Well, stuff might dispute that. It's it's a lot of the language and its proposal that I've managed to access. They say that it's going to strengthen local news operations. It's got all that kind of speak in it. It's definitely a process of centralisation. And if you're in one of those five newsrooms, it really is going to amount to a cut. You used to have seven people dedicated to covering your region specifically, and that's less than half now. You have three doing it. And... Yes, you're going to get help from this regional news team, uh, but that might not be someone that's actually sitting next to you in the office. It might be someone that's elsewhere, and they're going to be covering 
breaking news. So rather than the nitty gritty of, you know, what's happening at your council and all that sort of stuff. So the assumption is we're going to get less in-depth reporting on local issues? Yeah, stuff is sort of disputing that. They're saying, you know, these breaking news reporters are going to take all that all that daily, I guess, grind of reporting the emergency services, the fires, you know, the ambulances and the, all that, the, the car crashes. They're going to take that off, the, off your hands and the people that are left are going to be able to focus more keenly on the local area. The, the people that I've spoken to say that breaking news stuff, that's the easiest part of the job. It takes all the 10 minutes sometimes to write up a press release about a car accident. The hard work is digging into local issues, and that's really where the pinch is. That's where the time pressure lies. And so they're worried that there's going to be even less attention on that work, even less time to do it. And uh, there's even the fact that apparently these local newsrooms will no longer be staffed on the weekend. So all in all, despite the rhetoric from the company, they do see it as a cut to stuff's really in-depth local news gathering. Which is worrying given we've just had local elections, for example, where people um, criticised the lack of reporting and particularly on these regional uh, council and mayoral races. Yeah, some of those races were pretty lightly covered, to say the least, and some of the people I spoke to, they said, you know, we were just given this directive, you know, you really have to cover Voices for Freedom and cover all of these candidates that they're trying to infiltrate into the local body elections. That was very important. It was hard to cover the races while doing all of that. They were already stretched, and this is just going to make... <laughs> they're going to be stretched even more thin. And uh, so, yeah, it just feels like that kind of work is going to be harder to do. And just to clarify, is it going to affect the main stuff website or bigger papers like the Sunday Star Times? doesn't look like it at this stage. This is just regional publications, those five that I mentioned. Um, and it, apparently it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't affect Marlborough. So Marlborough at the moment is funded by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Uh, that will be unaffected, except for apparently they might be losing a part-time visual journalist. But yeah, the, the Stuff website and the Sunday Star Times or Waikato Times, they won't be affected.